0: As we dive into our time together, Lord, thank you for the privilege of these few minutes together, digging into your word and understanding you better and ourselves better and what it means to live lives of simple daily faithfulness better. And so, Lord, help us now as the Spirit works and your word guides. We pray you work and we leave here better and different and deeper than when we came in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, I've been a prophet at Biola University for 24 years teaching theology and philosophy and apologetics. And I've been a pastor all that time as well. And I'm also the father. Oh, where's my... I'll be right back. I forgot my remote. I'll be right back. Sorry. (laughs) You guys are hilarious. This is a photo of my family... My wife, as you saw, of 34 years and my amazing four kids who I love dearly. And so as I talk about knowing and, and living and preaching the gospel, it's not just as a theology professor, it's as a husband and as a father. And as I stand before you, I have lots of fatherly affection and care and concern for you young people because this is a really tough world to live faithfully for Christ increasingly so in your lifetime as you've been hearing about through the Daniel series. And so I want us to think about what the gospel is, what the good news centrally is for us as those of us who understand the Bible. So if I had to pick a verse, this would would be one of the ones I would pick to help us understand the gospel. Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. And so here we have packed into this one verse the idea that Jesus took our place. He came, and the eternal Son becomes a true human being to truly represent us, and he suffers for us throughout his whole life. But most clearly on the cross, he takes our place, paying the penalty for our sin. But I think it's important to realize what also this verse says, that his righteousness, his obedience to everything God has ever commanded By faith becomes our obedience and our righteousness too. So there's an exchange of his payment for our sin for the sin we should have paid for. And there's an exchange of his obedience and righteousness for our disobedience and unrighteousness. There's this incredible exchange that takes place. And by faith in Jesus we have everything he is and everything we need for us before God. And that result of this is not just getting your sins forgiven and being declared righteous, but the purpose of that is what? Being brought to God. Restored relationship with God. Let's not be self-focused and end our understanding with just forgiven sins and righteousness, but we are brought to God with that forgiveness and righteousness that we might be Brought to God, that He brings us into a restored relationship with God. That relationship is what it's all about. It's amazing. You can talk about the gospel and it can be very much about us, but it's very much about us being brought to God and enabled to live God glorifying lives because of Jesus. That's the gospel, as clearly as I can explain it. And what that means is we turn from ourselves and our sin the way we all boot up and we turn to Jesus sacrifice and righteousness in our place, realizing that he was victorious over sin in his resurrection, and lives forever at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us as our great high priest. That's the gospel, people. That's at the heart of it all, and we've got to keep our focus on that. And then living the Christian life out is the matter of making Jesus known and obeying him in fulfilling the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. You may have heard the term Great Commission. Well, the Great Commission starts with Jesus' authority that he gives to us to go and make disciples. And so disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, those who are depending on Jesus, become ministers of the gospel and become disciple-makers. So true disciples are disciple-makers, and we make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what else? We teach them to obey everything he's commanded. And when we combine the great commission to go and make disciples, starting right with our closest relationships, when we combine that with the great commandment, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That loving, other-focused life with the purpose of making disciples of Jesus and not just being nice boys and girls is at the very heart of the Christian life. The combination of the great commission to make disciples and the great commandment to love God and love people. When you put those two together, you've got the Christian life centrally. And so then it becomes a matter of living this out as ministers of the gospel. My son's working grounds here at Hume Lake all summer. And Sammy, boy, um, I asked him, so, Sam, what what has your boss told you more than anything this summer as far as helping you become a better worker? And he said, well, there's no doubt about it. He keeps saying to me, Sam, be aware of your surroundings. (laughs) You know, so you don't back into another truck with the truck you're driving. So you don't fall into a ditch without paying attention. And man, when we get locked into TikTok throughout our days, it can be incredibly hard to be aware of our surroundings. But Christians, followers of Jesus, ministers of the gospel, are aware of their surroundings. We don't live in little boxed-in lives with tunnel vision focused on ourselves and what we want. We start to look up and see somebody looks sad over there and not just walk by them. We become ministers of the gospel in powerful ways. And I I could tell you there's nothing been more important in my life, in my own growth as a Christian, than being concerned about the growth of other people. And I'm convinced that most Christians are clueless about how much God can and wants to use us in the lives of other people in powerful ways that will just blow you away when you see God work through you. In the midst of your frailty, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of sin that you continue to battle, God wants to use you in amazing ways. And the passage that's guided me in ministry as much as any other is this one we find in Colossians 1. that says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this, presenting everyone mature in Christ, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Oh, this passage has been so helpful in guiding me centrally about what ministry is. Let's just walk through it. First, him we proclaim. This is the most important thing in the whole deal. It's about Jesus. It's about exalting Christ. It's about making Jesus known. Now here's the difficult part of this. You can do that intentionally but end up doing it in a way that really isn't about Jesus. I could stand up here and say all the right stuff but deep down what I would want most is for you to think I'm really awesome. And in churches, in min- I got to tell you, I moved here. I just was preaching out of Hume, New England a couple weeks ago. And so I grew up in the Northeast, where the top eight of the top ten least Christian cities in the country are, the other two are in the Northwest. I mean, it is a, in many ways, relatively speaking, a spiritual wasteland. People feel so past that Christian stuff, according to the Scriptures. But I got to tell you, there's something good about it, because I moved to Southern California 24 years ago. And I started asking people, hey, where do you go to church? And they would always say, oh, I go to Tommy Jones's church. Or I go to Bobby Phillips' church. It's it's the celebrity pastor. It's the celebrity worship leader who's got videos and well-known songs for two months until they're passe, right? And look, I'm not faulting people who have influence. I'm not faulty. people. I'm not saying it's on them. But what we can easily do is make it all about the messenger instead of the one the message is about. And, and we need to be so careful because we can so easily be all about ourselves even as we're saying it's all about Jesus. And our message can, on the surface can be, it's all about Christ, but it, can, it really is, I'm awesome. Or we're awesome. Or we get it better than everybody else. You know, where I grew up in the Northeast, the average church size is about 65 people, kind of smaller than this. And we don't have one celebrity pastor in the Northeast. We don't have one, one uh, well, Tim Keller was very famous, but, but the, most churches, man, they're, they're just 70 people. And Aunt Sadie's playing the piano best she can. We don't smoke machines, Right? And again, nothing wrong with that stuff, but it can so easily become about how slick we are, how cool we are, how cutting edge we are, how innovative we are. And it's really not about Jesus. It's got to be about him. I think something's happening among your generation. I think you're getting tired of the celebrity stuff. I think you're getting tired of the performance stuff. I think you're actually rightly skeptical about the importance of those things. And you're starting to realize if it's not real, if it's not true, if this man doesn't have integrity, if this, this leader doesn't have integrity, who cares? It's got to be about Jesus. And the beauty of focusing on Jesus when you do it biblically, now listen, this is going to get a bit deep here, but we got to go deep. When you focus on Jesus biblically, here's what happens. Just like our passage in First Peter said, he brings us to God, the Father. And so it's not just about Jesus. When you do it right, Jesus brings us to the Father. And what does the Father say? Behold my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Make sure you depend on him. He's the one I sent to restore you to to me. And, And what does the Son say? You depend on the Spirit. He gives the great commission, but he says don't move a muscle till the Spirit comes in power like he does on the day of Pentecost. And so we depend on the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? We're told in the Bible that he exalts Christ. And, and what does Christ do? He brings us to the Father, and the Father says, You depend on the Son. So you have this wonderful Trinitarian, Father, Son, Spirit understanding of God and way of living out your Christian life. And so Him we proclaim. I want you to notice that word proclaim too. The word for, proclaim is really important, it, it's not just share or tell my story, or share my faith. It's proclamation. And the New Testament uses really bold words like that when it talks about what we do verbally with the good news. Preach, proclaim, declare, announce. Strong, bold, confident words, dear ones. Bold proclamation evangelism has fallen on really hard times in the church. We're so hesitant, we're so... uh, uh, Afraid of being rejected or having people roll their eyes at us. And, and Jesus said, That's just part of the deal, guys. world hated me, and the world's gonna hate you. No, that's part of the deal going in. But don't be overly cynical about people either. I can count on one hand. I've, I've preached Christ to thousands of people, and I can count on one hand individually people who said, Get out of my face with your Christian crap. That, in one hand. The rest are really interested. They're they're sometimes literally dying for truth that'll give them life. And the world's running around shouting from the rooftops how awesome sin is. And we're hesitant to talk about Jesus. You know, I worked construction for a long time. I was a commercial diver at work construction. I played football for 14 years. And so I've hung out with a lot of rough characters and tough dudes. And and I, I could feel myself intimidated sometimes when I wanted to tell them about Jesus. But then I started to think, wait, they're mocking me because I don't like pornography or look at pornography. They're mocking me because I'm not sleeping with my girlfriend before we're married. They're making fun of me because I don't want to go out and get drunk with them on the weekend telling me how awesome these things are, and I'm timid to talk about Jesus. What's that about? The world can be bold about immorality and things that dishonor God, and we're timid about the things that will give them life and fruitful and eternal life. So we need to be proclaimers of the truth. So him we proclaim warning everyone. What's this warning stuff? It's judgment day. When the Bible talks about warning, what are we warning people? About judgment day. They got to answer to God someday for how they live their lives. And I've seen such a pendulum swing away from what we call hell, fire, and brimstone preaching. We don't want to be that way, do we? No, we don't want to be affiliated with those people who talk nothing but judgment. But I think that's about 15 people in Idaho, according to my perspective on things. Most Christians I meet are not overdoing the judgment thing. But you know what the Bible says, unlike Eastern religions? It's a linear view of history, not cyclical, not karma, not reincarnation. But the Bible says this, it is appointed a man once to die and then to face the judgment. Every one of our lives is heading somewhere. Everybody's going to have to answer to God someday for the way they glorified him or not through Jesus. And our job is to warn them and tell them there's time to flee the wrath to come. If that's not part of our gospel message, we're not telling people the truth that the Bible tells over and over again, Jesus talked more about judgment day and hell than anybody else in the Bible. You can't be a Jesus guy if you don't talk about judgment because he's the coming judge. He came the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's coming next time with a sword to judge the world. He'll, he's the judge of all the earth as well as the Lamb of God. So him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone, which means we have got to know what we're talking about. We've got to be people of substance. We've got to get off Insta and TikTok and get into the word. And even my amazing Bible students, most of whom come from Christian families and Christian churches and Christian schools sometimes, they don't know the Bible, <laughs> They show up at biola, and they were raised in the church, and they know a whole lot more about what's going on in the Bachelor than they do on what's going on in Matthew. And we, we've got to be people. And the Bible tells us we're a bunch of Bible thumpers, and we're all Bible, Bible, Bible. Come on, is that really our problem? We're overdoing the Bible thing. We just we got all this Bible content. We're not doing enough. No, it's not our problem. Most Christians don't even know the Ten Commandments. Most Christians can't name. You know, half the apostles. I mean, it's amazing how biblically illiterate we are. In the midst of thinking we're a bunch of Bible thumpers, when we're not even Bible readers with any regularity. We got to get in the Word. We got to know what we're talking about. We got to be people of depth and substance. I ask people all the time. I love talking to people. I'm genuinely curious about people, which ministers have to be. And I'll, I'll ask them, "What do you think about God? What do you think about?" And they'll go on and on about, "Oh, I think God's energy and spirit, spirit, and when you pray, you send energy into the universe." And then I'll say, "What do you mean by all that?" And I'll say, and where are you getting all that? And they don't know. Sometimes I know where they got these ideas and what they actually mean by them according to the system they're adhering to, and they don't know. And I'll say, actually, that's a big emphasis Oprah has talked about for years and it's seeped into the culture. Or, oh, that's actually Marx just brought down on a popular level. I'll know where they're getting this stuff, and they don't even know. We can't be like that. We gotta be people of depth. More than half a question deep on what we believe. That takes work. It takes engaging the intellect. And it's like, ah, no, I'm not a reader. You don't have that option. <laughs> if you're a Christian and you're taking this seriously, you gotta grow. You gotta learn. You gotta get after it. You can't play into the least, the, the least path of least resistance in your, in your growth. We gotta know what we're talking about. If we're gonna teach people, warning everyone and teaching everyone, we gotta know what we're talking about. With all wisdom, we don't just blurt out whatever may be true. We say what's helpful, what's wise, what's encouraging, what's edifying, what's needed in the moment. Which means we need to ask questions to know the people well to whom we're speaking. Being a minister means knowing what we're talking about, loving what we're talking about, Jesus, and knowing and loving the people we talk about and bringing those two together. And so, we do it with wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. What that means is, on Judgment Day, when you as a Christian will have your works evaluated, and we will find out if I lived my life in a way that was storing up treasures in heaven or just on earth where things get destroyed. Whether I lived my life in a way where it's just burned up wood, hay, and stubble meaninglessness or if it's done in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God in the lives of other people. And we will have, most of all, the ability to present to God on Judgment Day people who are mature in Christ. That means the unbelievers in our life know Him because of the way God used us. And the believers in our life know him better because of the way God used us. And that just takes simple, intentional effort. I want you to notice the everyones. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, presenting everyone mature in Christ. That means there's a comprehensiveness to ministry. It means it's not just a few people, although that may be your focus. It's people in passing in a fast food restaurant. Remember I was with a friend and there was this little toddler in a carriage and I went over and I said, Hey buddy, how you doing? And I smiled as mom was talking to somebody. And I just had this little moment with him. I walked away and my friend said, Hey, way to invest in that little boy's understanding of the goodness of humanity. He'll, he won't remember that. He'll never have a clue who I am. But that's how life is. God uses these little deposits we make in people's lives. It just may be a kindness, a smile, a God bless you, or an I'll pray for you, an isn't God good. But it may be more intentional with your friends. And it can be hard to do. My friend, my, my, my boy Sam, who I just referred to, he, he, I was watching him with his friends in junior high. All his friends were Christians. And I'd watch him, and it was nothing but... Uh, All the time. It was just uh, 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 making fun of each other and just shallow nonsense, meaning. And he'd come home, and I'd say, hey, Sam, did you guys do anything meaningful in the last four hours you hung out? No, Dad, we just goofed around. I said, come on, Sam, are you a leader? Are you asking your friends how they're doing in their relationships with the Lord? Are you asking your friends what they learn in the Bible? Are you asking your friends how you can pray for them? Are you, are you telling them what you learned in the Bible? Because I am know you're reading it. No, Dad, you know how hard that is? None of my friends are like that. You just talk that way because you're a pastor. No, I know their parents do too. But you know what? A year and a half ago, God grabbed a hold of Sam's heart, and he just decided to ask one friend to get together on Tuesday mornings for a half an hour before they went to school just to read the Bible and pray together. And he was afraid to ask this friend. And he asked this friend, and he said, Yes, Sam, I would love to do that. Thank you. And they did, and it was incredible. Sam was afraid, my boy, was afraid that his friends were going to find out and make fun of him. Christian friends. That's how it can be. It's like everything's a mock, right? They did find out. And they were mad at Sam for not inviting them because they wanted in on it. And they, they they became this amazingly deeper group of friends just because one kid Took a little bit of leadership in such a simple way. And so everybody in our lives, God wants to use us. And maybe in our example, we're not even aware he's using us in that way. So we present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says, for this I toil, struggling. It's hard work. Ministry is hard work. When you get serious about being used by God, you got to be a man or woman of prayer. you got to be a man or woman of the word. You personally need to be growing, and then you need to take intentional effort in the lives of other people. It's hard work. Sin is a constant daily battle in our lives and other people's. So it's work. Just know that going in. It's not easy, but it's spirit-dependent work. So there can be an incredible energy that he powerfully works within us and when that's happening it can be really hard what you're doing but you get this real reality that god the spirit is picking you up and carrying you along and using you sometimes in spite of yourself and it's beautiful that's all i got what do you want to talk about Let's first talk about what I've been talking about. Oh, last thing I want to say is, practically speaking, if you want to get better at preaching Christ to your friends, right in your school, a great ministry that I love, that I'm not personally part of, but support, is Decision Point. i got materials in the back if you want to pick them up. This summer, they're challenging... students to pray for five friends who don't know Jesus in your school and then ask God to use you in their lives when you go back to school. But they got great materials back there. Their website, they'll they'll have a trainer in evangelism. Come alongside youth pastors and counselors and, and students and, and weekly meet with you online and help you develop as as a minister. So decision point's a great great ministry that I just love. All right, what do you want to talk about people? Comments, questions, thoughts, anything, pushback, disagreements, love it. Bring it. Tell me your name. Amber. Amber, it's my sister's name. She chose her name. We adopted her and we said, "What do you want your English name to be?" She said Amber. It's a good one. Um, do you have any Bible study recommendations for the y- Yes, I do. I do. The first thing I would encourage you to do so, Decision Point's a great ministry. Another great evangelistic ministry is Matthias Media. Look that one up. This is the gospel tract I use. When I talk to people, when, I, when it seems a, like a great idea, which is often the case, and this is just called Two Ways to Live, The Choice We All Face, I would actually start with this little booklet because it really lays out the gospel in non-technical theological jargon. It doesn't assume any Bible knowledge. It's just two ways to live, the way the king would have us live or the way we would have us live, and it just lays out the gospel really well. And then they have a book version of Two Ways to Live called Learn the Gospel. Matthias Media, Uh, the the staff at Forest Home, we just took them through uh, that as we got ready for their training this summer. So they knew the gospel. So many Christians, if you ask them, what's the gospel? It'll be all over the place. in unclear, lacking key elements of it, like the resurrection, for instance. So uh, two ways to live by Matthias Media and learn that I don't make a cent from any of this. Please, no, I'm not pushing. This has just been really helpful to me. Excellent question, Amber. Love it. What else? Tell me your name. Kyle. Hey, Kyle. You have a friend who... I have a friend who switches religions every time I talk to him. I have a friend who switches religions every time I talk to him. Yeah, and that's so so um, telling about the way we think these days in a designer way, right? I want my religion, my God, my life to fit what I think is good right now. It's a very human-focused approach to these things there's not this sense that God is you know the sign out out there right out out there yeah sign out there just says God is some people walk by that and they think oh they didn't finish the sign no they did they finished the sign God is and you may have heard there are two fundamental facts of human enlightenment one there is a God two you are not him right it's where it all has to start. And so this idea that today, this is what I would like God to be like, and so I'm going to adhere to this religion because it fits more closely. to the, It's a designer religion approach which defies the concept of God itself. If God is, I don't just design him. He doesn't conform to my present experience in reality. I conform to his perception of reality because that's what's real. And so, yeah, this idea that that we switch religions every other day. It's like my son, when he st- we adopted him when he was eight, my other son. And, and he was really into sports, but he would change the team he was rooting for based on the score of the game. Right? He'd start the game rooting for the Rams, and then as soon as they fell behind, he starts rooting for the Giants, right? It's just amazing. He switches mid-game, his allegiance, and I said, son, that's not how it works, right, in sports. True fans don't do that, right? They become, they stay Cubs fans no matter what, right? And so, so we, God's not some sports team that we root for if we think he's winning, right? He's God, and so we learn of who He is. Now, I'm all for studying other religions and understanding their conception of God, and I would I love to get to that point with people where first I say, "So, what religion do you adhere to?" And a lot of time, it's a designer version of that version of that religion. So you got this Americanized Hinduism that a lot of people think is so cool until they find out there's a caste system that makes women not even have a caste. Never mind, be a low caste. So you want to be Hindu or you want to be your version of Hinduism, which actually isn't respectful to that religion now, is it? And so let's, first of all, know what the religion actually teaches and don't think we get to make our designer version of it. We do that with Christianity, too. But let's really understand what this system of a belief says and then decide whether or not that coheres with reality very well or not. And I've never seen anything close to the biblical understanding of the human condition, of human longings, of how those are satisfied. The Bible nails reality. As I've studied other world religions and put them up against the Bible, and, and the Bible wins every time in its understanding of reality. Just, ah, that's all I got time for. All right. Excellent question, Kyle. What else? Tell me your name. Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Yes, ma'am. I do. I love it. Yes, Kristen! Are you serious? Come find me, woman. We'll have coffee. Yeah. What is that? What is that? Your bottle of water bottle, Kristen. I love it. Let's have... I'll buy your coffee. Even if it's a fancy like $8, froofy thing. I'll buy it. Yeah. Well, it depends what they mean by don't like it. So... Um, so I, I, I want to have real meaningful relationships and really know people and be known. That's kind of fundamentally what we're created for. And so when I'm in relationship, I want to know what my friends believe, even if it's completely opposed to what I believe. I want to know that because I want to know them. I don't want to know a version of them they think I want them to be. Right? And so um, are you an athlete, Kristen? What would you play? What is it? You're a golfer. Whew. I may be the worst golfer you've ever met. Anyway, um, f- I was a football player, so our solution to everything is just hit it harder, which doesn't work in golf, right? So, um, what are you really into? Uh, re- recreationally, uh, games, or so you play golf. You're a golfer. You spend all that time playing golf. Imagine if you said to a friend, "Man, golf is so great," and they're like, "I don't, I don't like that. I, please don't impose your golf on me." Well, I'm telling you what I love here. I'm telling you what I think is true about this game that I've invested time in. And if you want to know me, you're going to have to know that even if you don't get it. Even if you don't like it. right? Even if it's not what you would choose to invest your time in. And, and I would hope they would have that attitude toward you because you have it toward them. That you're genuinely interested in what they believe and live for. That's, that's fundamental to life, so relationship depends on that kind of honesty. So that always involves not liking things other people we love like. Yes, it's part of the deal, right? Sometimes we just want nothing but a clone of ourselves. That'll make life easy, unless we're honest about ourselves, and that'll make it hard. So we always contribute some mess to it. So good relationships means really being genuinely curious about what people, it doesn't mean we affirm it necessarily, but we say, okay, tell me what you don't like about it. Because sometimes I say to people, tell me about why you reject Christianity. But before you do that, tell me what you think Christianity is. Because I might not believe in the God you say you don't believe in either. Yeah? What, what, what do you think is true of Jesus? Because let's get that on the table before we reject it. That's what I'd say to my students in the Bible. I can't make you believe anything or expect you to believe anything. But I can expect you to understand what the Bible teaches. And then if you reject that, fine. But don't reject a, a false version of what the Bible teaches. Get the whole thing down. Yeah. Okay. See you in the fall, just a few weeks. Yes. What else? Tell me your name. Uh, Tyson. Tyson. So you were mentioning earlier about uh it's a possibility for to make it uh all about the messenger rather. Yes. Rather about Jesus. So how do we prevent ourselves from falling into that? Graph? Tyson, what a great question. And brother, half of the Tyson asks, "How do we keep it from being about us, and not about Jesus?" Because that can be subtle. You can, on the surface, seem to be about Jesus, but it's all about you. But Tyson, the first half of that battle is asking that question. You're well on your way, brother. You're obviously concerned about that not happening. There's a humility in there. There's a teachability in there. there there's a John the Baptist when his leaders come, his followers come to him and say, "Hey, people are leaving us to follow Jesus." What does he say? Oh, that punk. No, he says, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. And to genuinely want that and not make it about you. Because, bro, nobody's going to know who you are in two generations. Like your grandkids might remember your name. Your grandkids, right? So so if it's about you, that's pretty sad because that ain't going to last. But if it's about Jesus, it echoes into eternity and lasts for generations. Now that's something worth diving into. But it starts with asking that question and saying, what in me is all about me and not about Jesus? Even if it looks good on the surface, right? You can fool people. So it starts with asking that question. It starts with asking that question in the beginning of the day as you go into your day and go to war with pride. Go to war with your own self-image obsession that we all have. And you go to war with that, and you say, Satan wants to take me out today by making it all about Tyson. And I need it to be about Jesus and other people. And that's a work of the Spirit, Fallen human beings aren't like that. And so he needs to do that. And then you just keep asking that question in particular ways. When I leave this session, I'm going to say, Lord, were you pleased with that? The students were locked in, defying their generation's stereotypes. They seemed to really track with it. They seemed to like it. Did you like it? Was I full of myself or was I full of the Spirit? I need to know, Lord. You need to give me to the sermon to know the difference. And once I start to know the difference, I will start to hate living in the flesh. And I'll start to love living in the power of the Spirit to the glory of Christ because that's the most freeing thing in the world. It's exhausting to live in image maintenance, making sure everybody likes you. You go online, you're going to find people who hate my guts. And I'm good because I think the reason they hate it is it makes God happy. <laughs> so I answer to him, right? And so, so find the freedom of spirit led Christ's glorifying ministry and you'll have more confidence and humility than you could ever imagine but keep asking that question brother you're already on your way let me pray lord thank you for your amazing grace and for the power of the spirit and the word of god thank you for these amazing students who are so locked in for the last half hour and who obviously want to learn and grow lord i'm so grateful for them and humbled by them and thankful that you were here at work and so as i send them off lord lord i pray they'd learn in their next session amazing things and helpful things in all this week, and that you'd send them back home, ready to make a difference for the glory of Christ. And we pray these things in his name, amen. Goodbye, loved ones.